trees went out to name themselves the king. This is Grace Talks, a production of Martin UMC, an open and inviting United Methodist Church in Martin, Michigan, a co-charge with Shelbyville United Methodist Church, which worships on Sunday at 11 a.m. Martin worships Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and we would love to see you there. But the olive tree said, should I stop making all that I know as human beings? Our text today comes from Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, said the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up, break it down, and destroy it. But if that nation concerning what I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Master. Amen. So in last week's Jeremiah reading, the people have received the warning from God. Israel has been put on notice. Repent or disaster is coming. Repent or things are going to go poorly. As Jeremiah understands it, the people have forsaken God. The people have forsaken the call to justice, the call to plead the case of the orphan and the widow, the oppressed. We find the call a few chapters after this one in Jeremiah 22.3 where we read, Act with justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, and shed no innocent blood in this place. Instead, however, the people have turned towards the worship of things of their own hands, honoring and pleading the case not of the oppressed, not of the least of these, not of the foreigner or the orphan or the widow, but instead arguing the case of idols and things. The people have turned from God and instead they have begun to focus on man-made things and constructs, things that neither reflect God nor reflect humanity, humanity being the image-bearer of God in the world. The people have exchanged the honor of God, the care of the oppressed, for the things that they've made. They have replaced their God, they have replaced their neighbors with their idols. As I've said last week, they've allowed the things of the earth, 
Things that for us might look like our earthly institutions, our ideologies, our wealth, our privileges, our multinational banks and corporations, they tote themselves as being necessary for society to function. But sometimes they don't end up serving life. And so the people have taken all of these things, all of these idols, and they've allowed all of this to replace the welfare of the human being. They've, repla- they've allowed all these things to replace the welfare of the neighbor. What is the message of the gospel? Love God and love neighbor. What is the most important thing in life? What is it that all of the commandments hang upon love God and love neighbor. What is most important in life? The most important thing in life is God. The most important thing in life is other people. People. The image bearers of God. People. The presence of Christ among us. People are more important than prophets. People are more important than property. And yet we live in this world of property and profits and consumerism and wealth and excess and desire. We live in a world where the cry of the orphan and the widow has been drowned out by the cry of the stock market. In Jeremiah, we have presented to us this angry image of God. God is not happy here. In this passage, God is promising to bring evil against the people for their unfaithfulness, for their evil way. A side note, the message delivered to us through Christ is that God is not the cause of evil. God does not bring about evil. So rather than falling to the temptation of taking this passage in an overly literal direction and reading it as God is the source of our evil, instead reading it through the lens of Christ, we read it and we are reminded of the personification of the metaphor that Jeremiah is using. And so with that being said, what is it that we can learn about God's nature in this passage? What is it that this passage teaches us about the nature of God? We can learn about how God feels about injustice. He's not a fan. Hard no. And can't we understand that? Don't we feel the same way when we see people mistreated? When we see people suffering at the hands of injustice, suffering and being oppressed, don't we feel some sense of that righteous anger? Don't we feel some sense of righteous anger when we consider one of these multinational companies which pay their workers substandard wages? all while the most powerful live in the mansions, build off the profits of those same workers. 
Don't we feel some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the disgust when we see images of kids locked in cages or the images of people in sweatshops tolling away for 13 cents an hour as they produce a cell phone which will be sold for thousands? Shouldn't we be echoing the anger of God, the cry of the prophets, calling out for justice when we see that as it stands, we are as trapped as those workers making 13 cents an hour? Because the way it is all set up doesn't offer us anything except the products of oppression. The charge of God, as per Jeremiah, is that the people have turned from God. The people have turned away from justice and mercy and love. They've turned away from the care of the oppressed and the care of the least of these, and instead they're worshiping the things of their own making. And the problem here being that things made by human hands simply cannot save us. Things made by human hands cannot change anything in a substantially positive way if those things do not serve life, do not serve goodness, do not serve God. To throw back to the passage from last week, if a thing does not serve God, if a thing does not serve life, if a thing does not serve neighbors, then that thing is worthless. The things of the earth cannot save. The things of the earth can serve if they serve the purpose of their creation. But they can't save. They cannot provide meaning or purpose. They cannot provide the safety or security or escape from death or the effects of death that all of us are striving for. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can save us. The things of the earth, our property, our things, our networks and our systems, they are all meant to serve life alone. They are meant to serve God. They are meant to serve the good. Life is not meant to serve them. And so the message of the gospel is that Christ has come into this fallen world, this world where we've turned and begun worshiping things that are not him, and in turn he drags us back to himself. He pulls us away from our idolatry and he saves us from the things that we do to ourselves, the things we do to other people. And the how is found in that message that we've been given since the foundation of the faith. What is one of the oldest practices in the Christian faith? The practice of communion. It's the message that we find in the example of communion. We are one bread. We are one body. We are one people. That's the message of the gospel, is that we are one people. That's the point. No one 
is greater or lesser than any other person. No one is worth more or less than any other person. No one is more or less deserving than any other person. The message of the clay is the same as the message of communion, is the same as the message of the body that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. We are one. We are united. We are one in Christ, one in each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we feast at that heavenly banquet. What this means is that when a part of the body ignores another part, the only thing that it is succeeding in is ignoring its own needs. When we look at our sisters, when we look at our brothers in Christ and we see them suffering at the hands of injustice, when we see them suffering at the hands of oppression, what we see is we see ourselves suffering at the hands of injustice and the hands of oppression. We are seeing Christ suffering at the hands of injustice and the hands of oppression. They are us. We are them. We are only as free for joyful obedience as the weakest among us. The message is that we are all members of the same body. We are all a part of the same clay in the potter's hand. We belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. We need each other. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are eyes. And yet, precisely because of this distinction, precisely because we are not all the same part of the single body, we're all essential. We're all needed. No one's life, no one's life is worthless. We are all loved. We are all essential. We all belong to one another. Not a one of us can look another person in the eye and say, I don't need you. Not a one of us can look at the weakest member of society as anything less than essential. As Paul seems to suggest there in that chapter in 1 Corinthians, it is the weakest who are the most important. The truth of being one lump of clay in the potter's hand, one body of Christ, is that we are all in this together. If one suffers, we all do. If one is honored, then we all rejoice. Jeremiah isn't too kind in his image of shared suffering because as he frames it, God is working this clay. The potter is working this clay. And if it doesn't work, if it's not going the direction the potter wants it to go, he will pick it up and he will slam it down and make something new. He'll make a new pot that does what it was created to do. Loving God and loving neighbor. 
if justice and love and humility and compassion is ignored, if it's overlooked, then the threat of the gospel is that God might just rework it into something new, something that will do what it's supposed to do. But this idea makes us uncomfortable. The idea of justice makes us uncomfortable because it means admitting and recognizing the flaws in the shape of the clay. It means admitting that maybe the pot that's being made isn't the pot that God is designing. It requires examining what's been made and what needs to be done to improve it. It requires considering that maybe the reformation God has in mind isn't a bad thing. Maybe the picking up the clay and forming it into something new isn't to be seen as a bad thing. Maybe the clay being reformed is healthy. Maybe the clay being reformed is an examination and a need and something necessary to make the clay what it was meant to be. As it stands, this is what it seems, this is where it seems that we are as the church in America. It really seems as though the church over the past hundred years or so especially has turned from being focused on the call to relieve oppression and injustice to spread the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And what has instead happened is that the church has become more interested on making itself comfortable. And that's left us in a messy place. When we consider ourselves as Methodists, we consider that we are a church that has been around for about 250 years. As United Methodists, we are a church that's been around for just over 50, 51 years, thereabout. And in that entire time, we've been shrinking. When the United Methodist Church started out in 1968, we were at our height membership-wise. We were a church of over 10 million people. And today, we're a church of around 7 million people, this being in the United States. This is all despite the, church, or the population of the United States growing by over 125 million people. Most of us can remember when these pews were full. As it stands, we are looking at the trend only worsening in the next few decades. There is a real possibility that United Methodism will be on its way out in the living future, in the living memory of some of us sitting here. Why? Are we seeing God picking up the clay of the Methodist church and reforming it into something new? Reworking it into something new, remaking it into something new. Has the church been so focused for so long on its own internal comfort that it's forgotten its mission? That Christianity isn't just a come in on Sunday type of faith. It's a every single moment of our lives kind of faith. 
The message Jeremiah is conveying here is not that God is the one who causes the play in the potter's hand to spoil. The message Jeremiah is offering is that sometimes it seems like the clay goes in its own direction. Sometimes the clay has a mind of its own. Who here works with some sort of craft, some sort of tactile craft, knitting, clay making, cookie making, scrapbooking, blacksmithing, (laughs) trying to? What we know is that sometimes the cookie just doesn't break right. Sometimes the scrapbook just isn't behaving. Sometimes the yarn doesn't knit right. Sometimes the leather doesn't stamp right. Sometimes the metal doesn't strike right. Sometimes the clay doesn't cast right. Now, the flaw in this analogy is obviously that sometimes it's human error, the the maker's error, but obviously flaw in the analogy, but we're going to look past that. Sometimes the material we're working with is just flawed and needs to be reworked. So where's the good news? Where's the gospel message in here? in that call to repentance. It's in that call to change and transformed hearts, transformed actions, renewed minds. It's recognizing that God has already given us everything we need to succeed. Makes me sound like a self-help coach. God's given us everything we need to succeed, everything we need to turn and be rescued. There's no secret knowledge. There's nothing hidden from our eyes. Everything we need has been revealed. I am a part of you and you are a part of me. We have the Spirit among us. We have the call of the prophets, the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, care for the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, the least of these, the foreigner among you. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Turn away from the works of our hands and turn towards God. Turn towards loving people, not things. Let go of any notion that anything, any creation is more valuable than a human life. Recognize that our neighbor is not someone apart from us, but rather that they are us. We are them. We are a part of this together. We are one body of Christ. We are one clay. We are kingdom clay. So with all that said, may we learn to see our neighbors as we see ourselves. May we learn to see our neighbors as someone who is worthy of respect and dignity and love and honor. May we remember Christ's word to us that even should another person mistreat us, that's not an excuse to mistreat them. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't conform ourselves to the image of the world. We live so as to see the world renewed through Christ's presence in us. 
May the clay we are be one that is useful. May the clay that we are be clay that the potter can mold, and if not, may God rework us into something that is. Amen.